Welcome to Motorcycles and Misfits. Not at the Recycle Garage, this is the Flock to the Rock special. Hey everyone, this is Liza and I've been up here in Oregon for the whole weekend having a blast, meeting all sorts of women, going on amazing rides, doing all sorts of stuff, but I wanted to talk to Ruth Belcher, friend, Chicka Stanner, organizer of this event. Thank you for putting it on, by Thank the way. Thank you. Um, You're welcome. This has been crazy. How do you feel? It's it's over now. How do you feel? Oh my god, I'm Well, you hear the laughter in the background. I feel elated. This is um, I'm elated. I'm I'm relieved. I'm excited. I'm exhilarated. I have all of these emotions that uh, Just it's it's amazing. I feel I feel wonderful. That's what I feel. How many times did you cry over the weekend? I cried a few times. <laughs> I cried in my helmet. Uh, I was when we were coming over the bridge. I uh, I said, "Oh my God, it's happening!" And here we are. And I wish I could see all the women behind me, but I had to focus on the car in front of me, which was our camera crew. And and uh, and I thought, "This this is amazing." Um, I, I cried a few times. Um, once out of pure exhaustion. <laughs> And relief, and and the rest were just out of total gratitude, and um, I was so happy, you know, uh, that all the women were having such a great time and the experience that I had hoped they would have. So let's now let's uh, recap. So yes, where are we? We are in Seaside, Oregon, right? Yes. And can you um, kind of just go over what the agenda? was for the weekend. Yeah, so Thursday, um, we had uh, an opening speaker. We had, you know, we knew that the women were gonna be riding in from a variety of distances, so we wanted to make sure they had a hot meal and some coffee and whatever they needed to drink, and so we had dinner and uh, set up the, the night, and um, Pat Jakes was our opening speaker, who mm -hmm. is a woman ADV rider out of Granby, Colorado, owns ADV Woman, um, and uh, founder of ADV Woman. Yeah, so we're she, gonna hear from her later on. Yeah, Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah. So she is an extraordinary woman and a good friend of mine. Um, but she, what a, what an incredible adventure writer and instructor. So um, I thought, you know, I, I mean, who else to open uh, for such an amazing event? And then um, on Friday we had uh, several workshops. We had um, Marissa Longpeak do moto camping. A lot of women talked about mm -hmm. how they'd like to know how to pack their bikes and this and that. And, and so I love that she covered luxuries like better pillows, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, because people those are big <laughs> deal breakers for people. You know, and uh, so so she did a fabulous job. I first of all, I she asked me, hey. You you know, uh, can we, um, do you have some camping gear? I, I said, I got great panniers, Touratech panniers. Why don't we bring those in? Because that's what I use. She's like, great, great. And then when I walked in and saw the <laughs> setup she had for camping, I thought, what do you need my panniers for? She had that table 
three tables or two tables lined up with all her camping gear. When I found out it was her camping gear, anyway, that was fabulous. So she did a fabulous job. Um, and then, of course, we had Erin Graham, who did roadside first aid. She mm -hmm. is a firefighter. She's an EMT. She's an educator. She is just an amazing woman. She did not bring her ukulele. I was just a little disappointed about that, but I was. But all seriousness, in all seriousness, she was great. And that and that made me realize that you know I always preach that people should know more about wrenching. Yes. And then I was feeling like I should know more about first aid. First aid. Isn't that true, though? None of us know enough, I mm -hmm. think, just what that would mean to have that extra bit. And she was showing, showing some basic things you can have, like a strap to, to use as a tourniquet, stuff mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that that is a good, very good suggestion that people learn more about first aid. Yeah, I agree. And so I thought she did a great job, you know, fabulous job. Yeah. And and uh, just throwing a, a few, um, you know, high fives her way. She's about to become a captain in her firefighting um, oh, wow. career. So that's a huge um, step up and, and, and kudos to her. She's just an amazing woman. So uh, so I was very, you know, proud of her. And, um, and then, of course, we had Pat Jakes do the off-road mm -hmm. uh, workshop on uh, Friday. And that was really cool. Um, you know, I have a lot of ADV friends, women who ride, and well, and I won't reveal her name. She knows who she is, but she openly admitted, you know, sure, I'll go to the workshop mm -hmm. because I know how to ride. I've been around. It's not, you know, no big deal. I'll show up to support the event. Well, when she got in there, she realized, oh, oh, you know, there was quite a few tips. I was skeptical. Wait a minute, we're having a off-road a display in the building on a disabled bike. <laughs> what? <laughs> exactly. But I, I learned a bunch of things too that I'm going to take on and teach to people. I think that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And she's a great instructor. And, and it's true, just so many things. And, and as she talked about, uh, women learn differently than men. And she really has dialed in that technique on how women receive the information and can apply it. And I think that's fabulous. So, so that was Pat Jake's workshop, amazing, and uh, and then we had the Chickastans. Yeah, right. And that was, let's, I was so proud. Let's list off everyone yes. that was there. Yes, yes. So we had Dion Hertutnin. No, I just I just butchered her name. Okay, okay, okay. I did that for you, Dion. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so we had Dion. I'm going to leave it to the first names, and you can fill in the Heratunian. Heratunian, yeah. I butcher everybody's names, so forgive me. And then we had Cassia Leitz. We had we threw an extra letter oh, in there. But okay, uh, wait, Leet. Okay, Cassia Leitz. See, Michelle Adams. Oh, I was forgetting. Yeah, yeah, there yeah, we go. Yeah. I got that right. And then, um, so, and then we have you, Liza mm -hmm. Miller. We had Elsbeth Beard, mm -hmm. and we had Tiffany Kamhai, which, and then myself, Ruth Belcher. Yes. And we were missing Anita, Danell, Danell, and Stephanie, Stephanie and Olia, and Olia, and uh, I. I just want to say that how um, grateful I was to all of you to come from the different places you came. Uh, I know it was a reunion. It was a reunion, and I was so honored and grateful that you guys came. And I have to say that. Uh, uh, did you want any add anything to that? No. Nope. Okay. I have to say that um, 
that so many women came up to me and said, wow, I wasn't so sure about what you guys were going to talk about, but I really got a lot of information. And I can't tell you, probably 10 women from the event said, are you going back to Pakistan? When are you going? Because I want to ride with you. And I said, well, let's ho we'll hook you up. Or, mm -hmm. or when can I go? I Liza's got one coming, you know, we, I can uh, set you up with one. So there were a lot of women that were very excited after hearing us share our experience. And I've said that I'm going to do a Chickistan in 2019, but I hope that any former Chickistan, current Chickistaners yes. will do that too, because any of you can go and create your own tour because you kind of know exactly All the things to hit exactly absolutely and i'm excited i you know i'm hoping when we get the documentary we'll go back and do a, a we'll premiere that there and and Ooh. well if, when in pakistan you must ride so so we should uh we should talk about that yeah so, so that was a good time um i had a lot of fun doing that as well a lot of good questions and something i really liked about the audience is uh, the women here are just really curious and really paying attention yes i mean i've been watching people sitting there and writing notes when people were speaking yes it's like wow they're really taking it all in they are and they it's just such a this is i love my community i mean these are as i was telling pat you know these women are my friends and uh i, I just love this community but they were so I, I mean, just in general, I mean, let's just talk about the, going back to the Chickistans. I mean, I think everybody really got a lot out of what we shared and our experiences. And talking about some of our fears, I think, addressed what other people have, you know, in their minds mm -hmm. and, and uh, are fearful of. And, and to openly talk about that and just kind of, you know, move through that. I mean, I think that gave a lot of people some hope to do that, you know, right. trip themselves. And then... Let's see, it was Saturday. Yes, that was Friday. Okay, so that was Friday. Saturday. So then... That was we, a long day. That was... Which, Chock full of fun. Which, which day? Friday? Saturday. Saturday was. Yes, that was... You know, yeah, that was a big day. Um, so yet Saturday, yesterday, was... Uh, was amazing. I don't even know how to begin to describe it. We had we started with our team meeting at seven in the morning, um, really just dialing in all of what was happening for our blocks and team leads and what we needed to do, how big our groups are going to be, and so we started that out. We got everybody registered, and so um, um, May fifth, the first week, first Saturday of every uh, in May um, is International Female Ride Day, and. Um, that is a huge international event. Women from all over the world gather together in their communities mm -hmm. and they ride. And so, um, so you know, and so did we. So we gathered up um, at Flock to the Rock and we had on the ride, I think uh, at the, our last stop, we counted 79 bikes. I know that there were several women um, in attendance in the, at the conference that did not ride with us. Uh, there were quite a few. So we had, um, so we had a street ride, IFR street ride IFRD being an acronym for International Female Ride Day for those of you who are not familiar Thank with you. that because <laughs> a lot of people are like what is what? IFRD yeah. uh, so International Female Ride Day and then um, and so um, International Female okay, so where was I uh, uh, okay so uh, so we had three groups technically divided up beautiful one. roads I mean we're in coastal Oregon here. right oh yeah so long sweepers yes. bridges, yes. rivers, really beautiful and then some of us did the off-roads that's course. right so then we had an IFRD dirt group and I thought that was so cool and there was a, how many women were in that group with you guys I don't know like 16 women something like that 16 and and, and I will say it didn't go as planned 
Yes. But there was something that good that came out of it. So um, we split off and there was a dirt road we were going to hit. And this, we got to that dirt road and it just went up a hill about 40 feet to a roadblock. <laughs> so we all got to go up a gravel road and then turn around <laughs> and come back down. This is technical stuff. Just turning around on, on a, a gravel hill. hill. Yes is technical and she said well okay plan b there's another trail we can go try and we go further down the road turn off onto a it's a gravel road you know for cars and we're heading up it and then it turns up hill to the right and there's trees overgrown kind of over the, over the road you can see it's not as well used a couple women were like mm, i'm not sure because as some women went up their wheels were spinning and they were sliding oh, yeah. around and I'm like, that reminds me of Pakistan. <laughs> right. And even though I was on the most inappropriate bike for dirt riding, right? I just, I'm just bombed up there, had a lot of fun. It went uphill a ways, and then there was another roadblock. So unfortunately, because we're such a big group, right. the people who hit the roadblock stopped, but then there was a lot of people who were on the hill oh, who had geez. to stop. Oh, man. So then it became, like, at least one woman fell over. Yes. Um, and it just became a call to arms. Now people parking their bikes and going to help lift that bike. Yes. And turning around and everyone jumping in and helping. There were other, a couple other women who maybe weren't as comfortable turning around and going down the hill. Yes. So I think Pat was helping people. I was helping people. I heard that about you. <laughs> Somebody mentioned you. Liza got off her bike and she just, she helped me pick up my bike or I think it was, or you helped her turn around or something. She was so well, excited. I, yeah, I said, I'm long-legged. Do you want me to handle this? Because turning a, doing a U-turn on a hill in gravel, Yeah. that's, that's the hardest part but yeah. having long legs I have an unfair advantage yeah yeah and uh, but it turns out that her bike was disabled in the fall oh. and uh, Pat and I were able to assess that the clutch kill switch um, wires had come unplugged oh and we we're able to get it get it put back together because Pat and I were like let's go down the checklist why won't it start yeah kickstand switch clutch switch, ignition switch. We were just kind of going through everything. Yeah. So that was really fun to work with Pat and yeah. be able to assess and get a bike disabled bike going. Um, and we were able to get everybody, everybody pitched in and helped and spotted each other, turned around and went back down. This was only like a 40 foot hill. Right. But we stopped <laughs> and took a photo. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> because that was, that was a great triumph how everybody came to help each other. Isn't that beautiful? I love that. And so even though it was, you know, it, it, it didn't go the way as planned. Yeah. We had an obstacle that we had to overcome. And work together as a team. And there was a, uh, you're all with a sidecar too that had to get turned around. Yes. And, and so everyone was having, it was like Jenga, everyone having to move their bikes <laughs> to be able to get the, you're all around. And so... It was, we definitely had a, a group camaraderie right? photo. I love that. From that. That's awesome. I love that. Wow. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, and it's interesting because I, yeah, Chris, you know, had, had several ideas about the route. And I thought, you know, I know it's a, what initially we talked about, it was like seven and a half miles up, seven and a half miles down. I thought, well, that's going to be, because there are going to be some ladies out there who's going to want to ride on the dirt that don't mm -hmm. have dirt experience. And that's going to be enough just to give them a little bit of taste set. And they're, they're with the right people to give them a little bit of support. So I didn't know what was going to actually end up happening. But I love Yeah, that. like you didn't plan that. No, I did not. I really didn't. <laughs> 
So from there, yes. we all met up. Yes. So, uh, so the so the ride ended at the uh, Columbia River Roadhouse Grill, and we had we piled into this place. Oh, what a great place! Had barbecue. I mean, the, you know, they set up the menu for us, and we just had a fabulous time there. And so from there, we went over to the. Um, uh, Fort Columbia, Fort, Fort Columbia yeah. um, State Park is what it is, and it used to—it's an old bunker, you know, and I think a gun, gun bunker or something like that. And anyway, it was really cool. Some of the women decided to go on the ride. Officially ended mm -hmm. there, and some of us went and got pictures. Uh, our, you know, wonderful photography staff uh, wanted some extra pictures, and so we, um, so we we went and rode on these little hills nothing not a big challenge for more experienced riders but that would that is a challenge for those who are not who are not comfortable going uphill so I think a couple women challenged themselves a little bit and we all had a great time and then of course we broke and then came back to our final program mm -hmm. for the evening for the weekend and um, so we gave away some really amazing prizes. I shared some personal stories um, about the women in attendance. And mm -hmm. I really want to just personally thank my team who really pulled this off. I, I, you know, I have, I just, you know, I've got great friends who, who showed up to be volunteers and they really just, without them, this would not have been possible. It was a well-run event. And the evidence of this is I rarely had to come up to you to get something done because I knew I could go to one of these people who are handling everything. Thank you. Thank you. You know, <clears throat> thank you for that. That's yeah, they they we, we this has been in the planning for you know, months and months right. and uh and Ozzy and I usually have a meeting a couple of times a week at six o'clock in the morning and another team you know, I just um we this has been in the planning for like I said, four or five months and five months. Really just before actually at the end of last year, we started. And um, anyway, so thank you for that. Uh, and then, of course, uh, we gave some great prizes away, but only after our uh, featured speaker, wonderful and extraordinary woman, uh, Ms. Elsbeth Beard, joined us. Uh, this was the first time since uh, she had uh, uh, released her book. Mm -hmm. um, uh, that she came to the United States to speak. So it was an honor to have her speak, and especially to such a fabulous group of women that I th hope sh she feels well-received because, man, they loved every minute of it, and um, and she has such a wonderful story to share. So Yeah, her stories are great. Yes, and what an experience. So, and then from there, um, yeah, then we just closed the night down with some amazing products. And, and, and one thing, you know, I'm really proud of we don't get enough. I, I, I see a lot of women. I know there are a, a good deal of women that get supported and sponsored in the industry, but there are a lot of women who are overlooked. And, um, and that's one of the things I'm most proud of with Global Moto Adventures. We, you know, I wanted to be, I wanted to offer something to the women that, you know, are wanting to make a difference in the world. And not that other women aren't, but, um, you know, uh, so we have a sp sp uh, what I call the STP program or STP fund, which is Sponsored Traveler um, Program Fund. And all the product donated by our sponsors, mm -hmm. um, all the funds that are raised in uh, with that, I, I donate. I, um, I donate that to uh, the women in our community who've applied for our program. And so we picked two women, mm -hmm. um, Anita Kirshnin and Guliashan Tariq. Guliashan Tariq, Tariq from and Pakistan. From one Pakistan. of the women who's leading the way, uh, showing other women that they can ride, and I believe starting a um, 
school. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, she's doing some great things, and mm-hmm. I, I've been in conversation with her and Anita, and they do not know this yet. I am. I actually waited um, to tell them. I, I wanted to text them last night, but I thought, no, I'm going to set up a video conference with them, and I want to do that face face to face and let them know. I know they've been really excited, and um, and and so they're doing great work in the communities uh, that they live in and where they want to travel. So uh, it's a huge honor for me to be able to support them. And it, I think it's a huge honor for the women in our community who invested in the raffle. They know where that money's going and they know it's going to go. Not only is it lifting up the women we're sponsoring, but it's going to lift up the women that they influence. And, and so. so if somebody wants to look into this next yeah. year, and we have to explain, this is a women's only event. Yeah, women's only event. you're talking about maybe creating a side event for men? Yes, I'm thinking about doing another event uh, that, uh, well, I've yes, I have several events that we're, we're mm-hmm. talking about, and I'd like to open that up. So just to be a, a, an all-inclusive okay. event, and um, and then still keep this one for the ladies. So. And so where can people find more information? Oh, well, uh, right now, Global Moto Adventures, uh, globalmotoadv.com, ADV as in adventure.com. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and of course, you can uh, email us at info at globalmotoadv. And I'm ha- happy to support your community and see what we can do to bring some amazing speakers and, you know, and just inspire the masses. Are, are you ready to announce next year's guest yet? Do you, do you even know? I do know. I do know. I, I do know. And it's so interesting because I was, I was, I was planning. Um, I, I haven't confirmed it yet. Well, I have several women who I've talked to. I haven't. I have not uh, nailed anybody down. But, um, but I. You hear Pat's laugh? Yes, oh my God, that. it's cracking me up. So. Uh, I cannot announce it, but I do have several really amazing candidates. That uh, do you want me to tell you? Shall you shall can, I you, mention it? Can you can you, you can tell me off mic if you want? I can do that. Yeah, I'll tell you who's right. in consideration. Uh, so yeah, go to globalmotoadv.com and you can follow. And I wanted to thank you for putting on this event and inviting us up here. Um, not only did I have fun attending the event, but I got to meet a lot of really interesting people who are attending and who are speaking. So I've had the opportunity to conduct some interviews yes. with some of these people, and that's what you get to listen to now. Oh, wow. So thanks a lot, Ruth. You're, you're welcome. Thank you, Eliza. I right. appreciate it. Bye. Bye. Well, hey, we're here continuing our interviews from Flock to the Rock, and one of the featured speakers here is this amazing woman that I've been enjoying getting to know, and uh, you may have heard of her. She's been on other podcasts. She's making a name for herself. Uh, I have with me Miss Pat Jakes. I said it right, didn't I? Absolutely, yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Liza. No problem. Um, So... We'll get into, let's just, for those who don't know who you are, let's just go way back and let's start with how long have you been riding, what was your first bike, and what is your, in your current stable? Uh, I've been riding for 51 years now. I started when I was eight years old, and my first bike was actually a, a little mini bike, a green mini bike that had a, a lawnmower engine in it, a four horsepower uh, Briggs and Stratton in it. Uh, my first real motorcycle was a Honda SL100, and uh, my father gave that to me when I made the honor society at school. 
he asked me what I wanted and I said a motorcycle and damned if he didn't get it for me you know uh, my current stable I have a KTM XF 350 XFW for single track riding I have a Husqvarna 701E with a Rade uh, rally kit on it for dual sporting and I have a KTM 1190R for my adventure bike and then I also have uh, two TW200s that I use for students for training those T-dubs are too much. I know. Yeah. <laughs> we, uh, we, we call them the Whopper. <laughs> I know. There's so many situations I got in. I wished I had a T-dub. I know. They're great. I mean, there's nothing that puts a grin on my face like I'm 12 years old other than getting on that thing. And, you, you know, you twist the throttle wide open and it, you, you, it's just fun. I know. So... Let's go back. You kind of made a name in motorcycling by your fearless motocross riding. <laughs> yes. Um, well, I don't know if I made it made a name for myself, but I certainly was. It was unique because back in the '60s and '70s, uh, growing up in South Carolina, I was the only woman racing motocross against the men. And uh, there were women that raced in California, but uh, that's really the only time I ever raced against women was when I went to California. Uh, the rest of the time, my entire career was racing against men. So yeah, I was sort of an oddity, especially in the South where there's a 20-year time warp, and, um, and that created a lot of attention for me, but um, I didn't, I wasn't really aware of that. I was just doing what I love to do. Uh, we could call you an ego crusher because I encountered that same thing back in the 70s. When you're better than the boys at something, at a certain age, it's no longer cool. Well, you know, it, I didn't really have that awareness until one Sunday morning I was listening to a radio uh, interview that had been done. Uh, and I was kind of surprised because they were interviewing a young man that apparently I had beaten the previous weekend and he was crying because he'd never <laughs> been beaten by a girl before. And I honestly, I was pretty shocked by that. I didn't expect that, but, um, you know, oh well. <laughs> so did you get any titles under your belt? Um, you know, I did my racing was on the East Coast. I raced uh, locally, no real titles. I competed in the 1976 Women's Nationals and uh, I had incredible success and then also uh, devastatingly crushing um, failure, but it was an incredible experience. What I am most proud of in my professional racing career was um, in the winter, there used to be uh, the AMA Winter Nationals in Florida, mm -hmm. and this was a men's series, and I raced in the Gainesville series, and I finished top 10 against the best men in the country in my class. Um, that was, and you, you know, you're not going to read about that, it's not in any record books, but that's my personal best. Um, I, I'm, I'm pretty proud of that. Now, was your father your mechanic? My father was highly mechanical, and uh, he and my he taught my brother, and he taught me. Uh, I actually was required to to do all my own wrenching. And back in the days of two strokes, uh, I could rebuild the motor. The only thing I wasn't really comfortable doing was the transmission. I would do it with help, but um, we, we did all of our own maintenance and. It, it's kind of funny because I went to race in California once and my bike was running pretty sweet and one of the hot shots from California came over and said, oh, your bike's running so awesome. What kind of air filter oil are you using? And I looked at him and I said, Quaker State 10 to be 40. Because here I am, this country bumpkin, and we're, we're putting oil on the air filter and I didn't even know that there was any such thing as specialized foam filter oil, right? <laughs> 
<laughs> nice. So <clears throat> having your dad and your brother a part of this, did that create a real family bond? Uh, it did. My brother and I are incredibly tight to this day. Uh, my father, um, we had an interesting relationship. Uh, I talk about it being a combination of opportunity and oppression. Uh, my father was incredible. Um, he he mortgaged the family house to buy a RV to drive the entire family 3,000 miles cross country so I'd have an opportunity to race in the women's nationals and that was uh, that was a, incredible. But, um, but my dad did have a darker side and that overshadowed uh, a lot of what was going on in my life. So, you know, it was a mixed bag, but the thing that I've come to is um, I, I feel like I'm, I'm totally free now because I'm incredibly grateful for the good stuff and I'm also incredibly grateful for the interesting stuff. And when you can get to a space of being grateful for everything, however it shows up, you really are free and I feel like um, I, I'm very blessed in that regard. It's something that I love about uh, dirt biking is when we go to the dirt bike park, you see so many families out there. Absolutely. And you hear so many stories of people who started when they were a kid, or I know people who can't wait for their kid to be able to be right. big enough to start on their first bike. I love that this is something that is shared in so many families. And there's so many of us who it wasn't that we're so envious. Mm -hmm. You know, I absolutely, I totally agree with you. and. Um, for me, that family sharing shows up in with my brother. My, my brother, uh, when he got married, we, we taught his wife how to ride. They had two children, um, my, my oldest niece Carrie, Carrie and my youngest Leah. They were taught to ride. Carrie is married and when she was dating her then boyfriend, we taught him to ride. They got married, they had kids. Uh, my great niece and nephew, uh, Adeline and Grady, they both started riding when they were two and a half. Wow. Um, so uh, I recently, last month, I went to visit my brother in South Carolina. We spent a day out at um, uh, some country property on the lake that they have. I think we had 15 motorcycles, a UTV and an ATV, and we had a bunch of drones and we had a trampoline. And I love the fact that I have a redneck family because we <laughs> had so much fun. And, um, and, and it was, uh, it had rained the day before and I'm just wearing jeans and tennis shoes. And I, I once saw a bumper sticker that said, happy people make dirty clothes. <laughs> and if you looked from my knees down, I was just covered in mud and, and I've got videos and there was nothing but laughter and grins. And, you know, we had a, a barbecue and a picnic and um, that's, it, it's such an incredibly precious and special time to me. That's what it's about. You, they cut off the end of that bumper sticker though. <laughs> Happy people make muddy clothes, which makes miserable mothers. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. I, I actually used to, when I was a kid, uh, and this is a true story, my mother wouldn't let me come in the house. She would make me stand outside and she would hose me down with a garden hose. <laughs> and then I would have to strip and uh, she'd throw a towel around me and, and then I'd have to go take a bath before dinner. <laughs> that's true. That's a totally true story. <laughs> that's nice. So you, you went from dirt biking. Did you get into much road riding? Because a lot of people who race don't get into road riding. Um, I actually used to ride a motorcycle to school. I, I went to Catholic high school, which was funny because I didn't fit in. And I had a, a Yamaha what? RD200. Are we I talking the plaid skirt and everything? No, okay. hell no. No, no, no. You will <laughs> never catch me in a skirt, much less plaid. But uh, I rode an RD200 to school. And uh, the only superlative 
Well, let me back up. I had a Mustang that I bought, and I came into the parking lot early one morning, and nobody was there except one car, so I started doing donuts in the parking lot, and then the hubcap came off my car and hit the one car that was parked there, and when I walked over, it turned out to be the principal uh, was sitting in his car watching me cut donuts, and I just picked up my hubcap and said, I'll be in your office shortly. <laughs> And then the other thing that I played basketball in high school and I had one of the gals on the back and I was showing off and I was trying to wheelie and I dumped her in the parking lot. So the only superlative that I ever won in high school was fastest driver. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Not most likely to succeed, but definitely the fastest driver. So you have been writing a long time and you've continued your career. Um, you've now you're in Colorado yes uh -huh. and you've started a school yes yeah or, or uh, a tour company it's a combination of both yeah. tell um, us about it well ADV woman is the name of my company AD is ADV as an adventure woman and uh, the mission of ADV woman is to empower women through off-road riding um, so uh, we host a big event in July in Granby called rendezvous and uh, it's very, very intensive training, both on the bike and off. We do two days of uh, adventure as well as dirt bike training. And then we also do classroom sessions on things like how to fix a flat, how trailside maintenance and repair, think MacGyver, um, how to uh, GPS navigation, uh, trailside first aid, moto camping. You know, because when you're riding off-road in the backcountry, you have to be pretty self-sufficient. So we teach all that. Like how to use a rock as a tool. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you use rocks for many things, don't yeah, you? Yeah, I, I used rock to, uh, to nurse a bike out of the desert when uh, the axle nut came off because um, an axle nut put it on backwards. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so, so we teach those kinds of things, and uh, it's a lot of fun. We also do a bunch of dual sport riding, and then we have evening programs. Uh, keynote speaking, we're doing a drum circle and raising money for girls in Africa, and then we have a DJ dance party. But I also uh, am doing, um, last year in 19, uh, in 19, <laughs> listen to me, I'm dating myself. In 2017, I partnered with Women's Motorcycle Tours to host the first ever all-woman Colorado backcountry discovery tour, and that was a teaching tour. Um, I'm doing that again this year uh, in 2018. It's a teaching tour where, you know, the first time we hit a water obstacle, I teach people how to do the water and how to do the steep downs and, and hairpin turns. And every day, um, you know, we build the fundamental skills and then we build on it through the course of the riding. Um, in 2019, I will be leading the first ever all-woman Utah backcountry discovery tour, and that would also be a training tour. What parts of Utah? You going down south? Uh, it's going to be the whole BDR route. Nice. It starts down in the Medicine Hat and goes all the way up to Idaho. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. I've been scouting that. I started scouting it last year, and I'll finish scouting it this year. So I'm assuming, though, um, how long have you been doing this, the, sco the school? Uh, ADV Woman, uh, <clears throat> four years now. I am in this time where you have... Uh, adventure riding is becoming more popular than ever, and there's a huge surge in women riders. Is right. this just the right thing at the right time? Um, absolutely, it's the right thing at the right time because um, I have come to realize that uh, that what what we see in most training situations is what I call the shrink it, pink it version of training. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm going to make a statement that you might have to think about a little bit, and that statement is that there is a difference between a class of women and a women's class. And the differentiation to me is 
uh, taking the same class that's taught exactly the same way that you teach the men with the, uh, the exact same uh, techniques and, and instructors and oftentimes male instructors and just having the uh, participants be women. That's a class of women. A women's class is when we recognize that things are very different for women physically, um, mentally, we learn differently, we build confidence differently, and we uh, create a learning environment and learning techniques, teaching techniques, that are specifically designed and focusing on women to give them the best possible outcome. So, <clears throat> this is what I believe, and tell me if I'm wrong, because you would know. <clears throat> when uh, you're instructed you know you want to counter steer and use your body but um, we know that women's muscle output is like 70% of what a man's is I believe so don't we have to work harder to get the same outcome on a bike no we have to work differently okay uh, I in some ways we have to work harder harder but I think we have to work differently the facts are that um, for upper body strength, women have 40% less muscle mass yeah. than men do. Um, one pound of female muscle and a pound of male muscle generates the same amount of power, but we have 40% less muscle mass. Mm -hmm. So what a lot of guys don't understand, what a lot of women don't understand, is that what can feel um, easy for an average guy can be incredibly difficult for even a very fit athletic woman. So. Um, women's lower bodies we have less muscle mass but proportionately we're much stronger in our lower bodies than we are in our upper bodies so when i teach um, uh, off-road motorcycling i teach women to ride with their legs and feet predominantly mm -hmm. and as a last resource use their i want them to save their upper body strength for when they really need it and sloppy riding and incorrect technique um, means that people are expending energy un uh, uh, unnecessarily on their upper body and then they get tired and then when they really need that strength move to correct the front end on the bike that's trying to tuck on them in the sand, they don't have it. Um, so, so, yeah, there are definitely techniques that are important to, they're important to men and to women, but men can get away with it because they've got that extra um, strength in their upper body. But, you know, women develop confidence differently and they they uh, they learn differently it's it's a completely different environment yeah and after hearing you speak the other night it made me start thinking again about I need to pay more attention to what my feet and legs are doing and when we were doing the ride yesterday I was doing a lot of the twisties standing up and steering with my feet nice and just using my feet to push the bike over so it's something I yeah I, I have to be reminded to focus more on other parts of my body and get them all working in sync. Right, right. So um, what do you have coming up? Well, in July 19th through the 22nd, we have Rendezvous uh, in Colorado. And then we're the 23rd through the 29th, we're going into the Colorado Backcountry Discovery Tour. Uh, I'm going to be doing uh, some training in Mammoth, California, I think the weekend of Ju June 9th. Uh, I'm doing a, I do a lot of uh, private lessons. And I can do private lessons either in Colorado where I live or I can um, come and ride with you where you are. I really do actually enjoy um, training with people in an environment where they're going to ride. Mm -hmm. um, there's a, there's certainly is value to skills and drills and riding around cones and I think it's great to set that foundation. But then let's put it into um, use in the real world so that um, so that you're a safer rider, so that you're having more fun and, um, you know, not getting injured, you know. And I'm just curious, in the ADV riding world, 
what camp are you in for what size bike? Because so many people are just going right to the GS1200. I kind of think that's big. You have other options. Some people are getting WR250s and outfitting them. Some people are getting DRZs or 650s. What do you think is the right size bike? <laughs> well, the answer to 90% of all motorcycling questions, uh, and I encourage people to write this answer down and to memorize it, because the answer to 90% of all motorcycling questions is it depends. Uh, it really depends on the rider. Um, yeah, I have an 1190, I have a 701, and I have a 350, but the truth of the matter is, is I believe people learn more uh, quicker on a small bike. Especially, it's true for men, and it's especially true for women, because uh, if you think you can or can't, you will. So it's all about confidence, and it's much, much easier to build confidence on a small bike, where if you make a mistake, um, you, you don't get hurt, you don't, you know, if you fall three times on a little bike, you still have energy. If you fall three times on a big bike, by the time you pick it up, you've, you're, you've wasted your energy, and then you don't have the energy to keep riding and to continue learning. Um, every single skill that I teach on the little bike is transferable to the big bike. The only skill that I um, that that is not transferable is pivoting around the inside foot. Um, I do that a lot on the little bike where I pivot around the inside foot, but I won't dare do that on a big bike. Uh, that's right. dangerous. So, but other than that, every skill that I use is is uh, transferable. And you know, there's a lot of stuff that you can do uh, with the bike dead without even the motor running. There's a lot of stuff that uh, that you can train if you work out, um, do balance training on unstable surfaces, and and correct your balance and use your feet, all those things come into play when you're riding the motorcycle. I'm stealing some of your, your technique of hopping, learning the balance point of the bike and hopping back and forth. Right. I'm stealing that. I'm going to start implementing it at my garage. I decided I'm going to start taking women who have avoided bikes that are too big for them. I'm going to throw them on like my Versus or right. my DRZ. Right. I'm going to spot them. Right. I'm going to have them start finding the balance point and learning how to put one foot down at a time on either side. That's a great thing because, you know, one of the things that I consistently hear from women is that uh, off-road bikes are too tall for them and they mm -hmm. want to be able to get both feet down flat. And it's it's the reality is that to ride off-road, you have to have suspension. Um, and when you have suspension, the bike is going to be taller. Now, all the bikes are going to be taller. Some of them are extremely tall, and some of them are not so extremely tall, but they're all tall. So we may as well just accept the fact that trying to get two feet down flat-footed is not reasonable. And even if you're six foot five, it's not smart to try and plant two feet down. I teach all my riders right off the bat, I just want to break that habit and always have them only put one foot down. So we actually teach them how to do that before they're even riding. We, we do a drill with the bike dead, the, it's in gear, and you're just moving from side to side first, and then you go from a, um, a, a seated balance position to putting your foot down, and then you go for, to a standing balance position to put, foot, put your foot down. So what we teach right off the bat is how to get your stinking, stinking foot down. <laughs> Because, you know, at some point when you're riding, you, you're going to have to stop and get your foot down. And, no, and, and most people aren't trained on how to do that. Everyone knows that's it's it's when you're not moving that the bike is the most dangerous. Exactly. And that's when I find people become discouraged. Yeah. Well, the great thing about doing this with the dead engine drill is that that, especially for women, that means that before they even fire up the motor, they feel the confidence of actually knowing something and having developed, beginning to develop skill. And that's super, super important. 
Cool. Well, um, before we wrap up, I want to make sure I give you a chance to plug your website and anything else you want to plug. Uh, the website is advwoman.com, alpha delta victor woman.com. Um, I, I, I encourage you to opt in to, uh, to our mailing list. Uh, right now I'm doing ADV Woman full-time, uh, excuse me, part-time, but in 2019 I will be doing it full-time and I intend to be traveling around the United States, uh, training in different places and sharing this message and sharing this teaching uh, methodology. I have uh, instructors that have been working with me. I've been developing a team of coaches that use the techniques that I teach. Uh, I have coaches in, uh, in, in Canada, um, in Oregon, in uh, Colorado, and um, uh, Washington DC area. So my vision is to, um, to have resources for women all over, uh, not just the United States, but ultimately the world. So um, check out our rendezvous offering and check out our BDR offerings. And again, remember that in uh, 2019, we'll be doing both the Utah Backcountry Discovery Tour and the Colorado Backcountry Discovery Tour. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us and thanks for your participation uh, this weekend. I've had a lot of fun thanks, doing everything we did. Yeah, it's been incredible. The, the women have been so awesome. It's, it's been a very profound experience for me. I've really enjoyed it. And I feel quite privileged to be here. Thank you. I, thanks for chatting with me. No problem. Thanks. All right. Bye. So I am here at Flock to the Rock in Seaside, Oregon, and I'm meeting all sorts of interesting people. And as I was perusing the table of items for the raffle, something caught my eye. And I knew that there was a story, there, there was a story involved in that. And I saw this book titled From Iron Lung to Iron Butt. I went, what? <laughs> what there's a story there so i said i want to know i want to know more about this and ruth my friend ruth said well the author's right here i want to meet her and then as i was talking to her i discovered oh there's more books and there's so much more so i i want to get right into this so i am here with linda is it lawman layman layman linda layman you are i mean you're another one of these great um, female figures in motorcycling who's accomplished a lot but is helping others accomplish a lot. So if you can give us the elevator speech of what you do. So what I do now is I am a mental skills coach and a writer. I um, work individually with clients getting over, getting over, past through, beyond, um, and enhancing their ability to focus, perform, um, relax, get comfortable in whatever it is they're doing, whether it's motorcycling, riding horses, running, anything, ice skating, swimming. Right. So I teach the minute details of how to focus, how to relax, how to stay present in motion because I work with athletes. So it's not how do you sit in a room quietly and meditate, it's how do I do this when I'm on a motorcycle going 80 miles an hour? I, I understand this. <laughs> and then I write. I stumbled into writing and I have five books out. 
I was asked to write the Woman's Guide to Motorcycling, mm -hmm. which is not a how-to ride. It's everything else about how to empower women to own their own experience as motorcyclists. And um, I was reading up on this book. It's really interesting because it's kind of... Uh, for. It's intimidating for a lot of women to get into motorcycling because yes. there's a lot to cover. Yeah. Because a lot of motorcycling isn't catering to women. Right. So finding the right gear, finding a bike that fits. <clears throat> but it's not just women. Short men yes. have the same issue. So we can say that it's more of a stature thing. Right. And people go through all th go through this. And so you're kind of giving the those answers. The most common questions. Yes that riders have. So it's really a new rider's guide yeah. or even a returning rider's mm -hmm. or an experienced rider that just wants to increase what they know. If we called it the new rider's guide, the reality is more women will buy it and men will buy it for their girlfriends and then they'll read it. Um, and, and I don't mean that as a derogatory, I just right. that's just a reality. How we learn, how we uh, approach things is just different. And But the, the unique part of targeting it to women is um, a lot of women do get into it because somebody will introduce them to it and then they will sort of follow their lead. And I want women to own their own experience. I want them to understand why are you riding, why it's important to get better, how to learn, how to go shopping, that you can, you know, when you walk in and you look at a motorcycle, there are so many modifications you can make, you're not stuck with that. Yes. <laughs> you know, things like that. Um, why there is more gear geared to men than women because of the segment of the market. And motorcycling in general is a small market and women make up a very tiny part of that. And women are used to going shopping for clothing and you can have five different women, five different shapes and we can all go to a store and find something. And you can't do that with motorcycling. Right, um, and, and I find that a lot of people <coughs> get into motorcycling because a friend got them in. Yes. You need to have that invitation, that yes. access. Yes. But for people who don't have that access but have the, the want or the urge, right. this book, is that helping guys? Yes. And so, so the very first thing I talk about in the book is the history of women riders and then getting to meet some of these. You know, I met Mary McGee. Right. I did a dirt class with her. Um, like, oh, my gosh, you're one of our heroes. Having her sign my copy of right. the book that I, I take around. And most often they didn't realize they were heroes. I exactly. When they were doing yeah, this. Yeah, no, were, not at all. They were right. just doing what they were doing. Right. And then um, so so. Even even to find out that we have heroes, because as women, we don't hear those stories. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to somebody whose father rode from uh, Cape Town up through the Sahara, and, and you know, she's saying he's the first person to do that. And I said, no, two women did it in 1935. I said, he might be the first person to do it solo. He might be the first right. person to do it you know, south to north. They did it north to south. But we never heard their story, right. the women's story. And when I read their book, I was blown away by what they did in 1935. And so I did that. Then I kind of interviewed a variety of women with why they ride. Can you name some of these? Um, um, the heroes what, or yes, the, the heroes. okay? So you know we have Mary McGee who did mm -hmm. a lot of uh, motocross racing. Um, Teresa Wallach is the one who rode um, from Cape, from London to Cape Town, two up on a Panther with a sidecar towing a trailer, <laughs> with jackets lined with lead because of the sun. Wow. Yeah. And they had to get permission from the French Foreign Legion at each station. And if they were late getting to the next station, they'd have to pay money to be rescued. Wow. And the, the women weren't speaking by the end. They, they went down, just both of them wanted to get there. They were not a couple. Um, right. But apparently they weren't speaking by the end. I'm like, yeah, I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> but Teresa went on to um, uh, start 
she worked as a, a motorcycle dealer in Chicago. She emigrated to the U.S. and then she didn't like how women were being trained or people were being trained, and so she opened a school and wrote a book around how to how to learn to ride. Wow. And yeah, she kind of blown away by what she did and was part of the whole getting the international women's motorcycling groups going. And, you know, there were women that started motor maids. There are women that, you know, Bessie Springfield, more people mm -hmm. are hearing about, who is African American. And, you know, in the era she went, a woman, African American, riding solo on a motorcycle around right. the country. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> you want to talk about series of barriers, and yet she'd do it. Um, a mother-daughter team that the mother tagged along because she wanted to keep her daughter out of trouble. <laughs> um, just, and then and then we kind of move forward. Um, two of my heroes in long distance were um, our our work uh, artist Kellerman mm -hmm. and uh, Vonnie Graves, Glaves. Sorry, and they each reached a million miles on BMW motorcycles. Wow. And they, they were good friends, and so they met on the Million Mile Highway <laughs> in Colorado to finish off their million miles together. Um, and uh, artists didn't start riding until she was in her 50s. Wow. Because I think she, the story I heard her tell was that she bought a truck that had a bike in the back, so she just decided <laughs> to learn how to ride it. <laughs> you know, like something that. like that random, that mm -hmm. how she got mm -hmm. into it. And we all had t-shirts that said, I wish I could ride like a great grandma from Texas. Because she finished several Iron Butt rallies, which is an 11-day, 11 11,000-mile 11, endurance event. And then, really tragically, she was pulling out of a gas station. She was 82, pulling out of a gas station on her bike and got hit by, wow. I believe, a driver who was also 82 who didn't see her. Wow. And so she was killed. That was pretty tragic. But Vonnie's still riding. So speaking, though, of... <clears throat> traveling and getting along. Yes. So you have another book, Two Up. Mm -hmm. Okay, can you explain what this is about? Okay. So I met my husband, my current husband, when I was 50, and I had ridden a motorcycle when I was 15 and then not ridden since. And on the third date, he was very much into motorcycling and long-distance motorcycling, 1,000 mile and 24 hours right. kinds of riding. So I thought, you know, I like him, but I need to know I like a motorcycle um, because it's not fair. If a year from now I like him, but I don't like riding right. when he's telling me this is who he is. So we went for a ride. I was on the back and, you know, it's history. I, I fell in love with it, um, got into the long distance riding with him. And after we were, so we met in 2004 and 2007, we were in the 11 day, 11,000 mile rally which is like a giant scavenger hunt all over the U.S. Canada. Right. And you ride pretty much round the clock um, with some checkpoints and rest bonuses and things. And we were riding two up on a gold wing in this competition. And so the book became kind of a metaphor for second marriage. Uh, you each come with baggage, emotional, historical baggage. And we had to figure out how to get on a single motorcycle with a very limited amount of space, which meant you had to get rid of a lot of baggage, mm -hmm. literally. And and then we were in this competition, and so we had to navigate um, how to go down the road, how to decide what things to go for, because you've given like way too many choices, and you go for point value. Right. So how do you navigate the competition? How do you navigate the road? How do you navigate sleep? How do you na navigate you know bathroom breaks? And so the book kind of arose out of that because nobody had told the story from the two-up position. Exactly. Yeah. I, 
you know, there's um, <clears throat> very few things in life that I won't try or do. Being a passenger on a motorcycle is one of those things that is like, ah, I hate yeah. this. Yeah. And I have a lot of respect for somebody who can passenger, but to do that great distance. I mean, talking about iron butt, that's even harder for you because you have less room to wiggle and adjust. So the difference is when we were doing it competing, mm -hmm. you're a team. So I'm, I have a GPS, I'm helping strategize, I'm navigating, um, I'm figuring out what it is we're looking for. When we get there, you have to hop off the bike, you have to, uh, you have a flag, you have to put that up, you have to make sure you get all the details right, you have to put it, you know, so, so there's a lot to do. Mm -hmm. And you're not really on the bike for a thousand miles straight. It's like you hop from here to here to here. So, right. so you're in short bursts. And um, I, I don't think I ever slept on the bike when we were doing that. Wow. Um, and when we'd stop, if he got tired, we could just pull the bike over, he could get off the bike and lay down on the ground and go to sleep because I was awake to watch to make sure nothing happened. And so it allowed us to be even more efficient. So th that's what I was going to ask, because as somebody who I have completed an iron butt, but the, the rally is so, f that's so far out of my realm. Now, people, uh, a lot of people say, like, how can you even do a thousand miles mm -hmm. in a day? Uh, you can do it. It's actually not as hard it's, as you it's think. It's not that hard. Yeah, yeah. But to do that consecutively for 11 days, can you kind of go over what the schedule is like and how many hours of sleep you get? So everybody's different. Um, my husband needs, he probably needs four to five hours of sleep a night. Now, in real life, he goes for more, but when we're in these competitions, right. he will probably sleep for four to five hours, and then during the day, he might stop and get off the bike and have a 10 to 20 minute nap. Mm -hmm. um, there are people that can go you know, and sleep two hours one night and then six the next. So everybody's just got a different rhythm of what mm -hmm. they need for sleep. The One of the things we were trained in, um, and they talk a lot about is sleep management. And so how do you uh, recognize when you're tired and you can chew a stick of gum and right. kind of, you know, you just ate. And so, you know, if, if I just get my mouth chewing and get saliva going, that actually wakes you up. Um, most long distance riders do not do caffeine so that they don't get the peaks and valleys. Um, and, and then if you really need it, a hit of caffeine will have an effect. Um, but, but uh, and then recognizing that versus I have to stop the bike immediately and get off and go to sleep. I am mm -hmm. tired. And no matter what I do, I, I do it. And so we, we train to know how to do that. You train to find your own rhythm for, um, you know, get on the bike. And um, it's about efficiency. How quickly can I get gas? How quickly can I eat? How quickly can I get off? You know, the more time I'm on and the bike is mm -hmm. moving, I'm making up miles. Um, it's not about speeding because speeding wears you out. It's not about dawdling. Mm -hmm. You know, if you take 20, 30 minutes at a gas stop, you're eating up your clock. But you, you only have to average 45 miles an hour over the course of that 24 hours to finish. <clears throat> so if you're in a place where the speed limits are 70 or 80 miles an hour, you can be going the speed limit and, and stop at a hotel. So we typically will start in the morning. Um, some people start in the middle of the night, but that disrupts your rhythm. Right. So it's know your rhythm. And then... Um, kind of plan I need to eat. We have snacks, you know, we'll stop quickly for snacks. We do have a rule that we learned and evolved, which is I will never ask him how he's feeling and he never asked me if I have to go to the bathroom. Because <laughs> <laughs> as soon as we do, you know what happens. As soon as I say, how are you feeling? He's like, well, of course I feel terrible. You know, I've been sitting on the bike, but I wasn't paying attention to it. Right. And you know, for me, it's 
Well, I didn't think about it till now. Now I have to and, you know, go to the bathroom and we just pass the rest area. So do you find that <clears throat> doing two up long distance riding, does that make the relationship stronger or does it, is it taxing on the relationship? Well, so we separated to two bikes. Okay. And um, I've been riding my own since 2011. What happened is in 2010, we took kind of a flower sniffing ride mm -hmm. and I was bored out of my skull. <laughs> I was trying to figure out how to attach Kindles to the back so I could read. I was falling asleep. I was, you know, I'm sitting there going, this is ridiculous. I can be on my own bike because the competition element was gone. Mm -hmm. And so I already had my endorsement and um, I just got on my own bike f since then. So now we compete two together. And what bike are you riding? I ride the Honda NC 700. The Honda NC, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and it's it's just a nice fit, it's comfortable. We I have an auxiliary fuel cell, because mm -hmm. it only has a 3.2 gallon tank, which doesn't get you very right. far, so I, I now I'm up to a little over seven. Um, and what do you do for butt pain management? I have a custom seat. <laughs> okay, what do you, what brand? Uh, Riches. Okay, I've not heard of them. He's up in Kingston, uh, Washington, and um, Kind of that tractor seat style and mm -hmm. i could go in and go okay i need it i have a bad tailbone so he cuts it away i have you know my sits bones or some extra yeah. pad he calls it a princess seat and i'm like i'm cool with that um so i have that my husband has the africa twin and he uses a bead rider that mm -hmm. works for him um both to add a little bit of height and also just airflow and you know little massage when he needs to move um a lot of it is getting off the bike when you need to, mm -hmm. doing some stretches. Um, on the bike, I, you know, dropping legs, moving my arms, you know, just moving around. I have exercises I do. Um, really, really being mindful about where my back and core are. Right. So that I am constantly engaging, because just like running a marathon, the injury comes when you start relaxing and dropping, and now your form is bad. Making sure my head is back. Right. Because you know, create a lot of pain in the back of your neck. And having the bike your head. set up for you, I think. Having the bike, yeah. Because a lot of people don't get, mm -hmm. you know, I know people who sell a bike because it hurt their wrist. Right. It's like, there's, right. whoa, right, right, whoa. Right. Yeah, I put handlebar risers on mine. He just puts yeah. them on his as well. So I have risers on mine. My seat position, um, you know, the ergonomics are in a way that I'm comfortable. Mm -hmm. A lot of long distance riders prefer a more upright bike. Yeah. Um, cruiser style is hard on your back, although. People have done this on Harleys, done the, you know, 13,000 miles in 11 days on a Harley. But for most people, that's not as comfortable a bike for that, um, and nor are sport bikes. Right. You know, so you get a lot of FJRs, you get a lot of BMWs, uh, the Concourse. Um, so you know, here's a question. Why long distance riding? What? What do you get from long distance riding? Because a lot of people can't fathom. They think it's a form of torture. Okay. So we break it down to looking at runners. Some people just like to walk. Some people yeah. like to take their dog and go for a stroll, and that's perfectly fine. And those are your Sunday motorcyclists. They get, you know, they go, they ride, meet people for coffee, they have a wonderful time. It's great, they're out there. Then right. you have people that like to go to the track. You have people that like to, you know, but you have people that then want to run a 5K. Mm -hmm. And They've done it and they're like, that's the race I like. That's the distance I like. Then you have people that want to do a half marathon. So I wrote, we actually did a bunch of half marathons to train for some of oh. these because there's a mental aspect mm -hmm. to starting a start line going, oh my God, I have to go run 13 miles. Like that's insane. But as you train for it, it becomes like, I can do this. Right. And you kind of learn where your head goes and how to, how to deal when you get to the dips. And then there are people who do marathons and ultras. I have no desire to do a marathon. Um, <laughs> 
Yeah, the ultra marathon is basically what you were doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, but it's you train for each one, and I found I found the rallies are more fun because you're you're. It's a scavenger hunt. It's like, okay, what's the next bonus? Is it like the statue of a frog? Is it, you know, the troll under the bridge in Seattle? Is it, you know, and typically the rally masters will take you to places that are on really cool roads. Right. And so my husband said, you know what? We pay them to plan a three-week vacation for us. Now, are there, <clears throat> are there many women piloting their own bike in the rallies? So... Uh, I was just talking to a friend of mine. I'm, we're in a rally this summer that's six days. And she said, we're finally getting women's shirts. Oh. She said, because last time, two years ago, there were only two women. And she says, this, this time there's about 10. And a combination, um, there are several couples that compete. And we have one friend. She's a captain in the Navy, and her husband's a little bit below her. And... Um, She's an incredibly competitive, very driven, um, intense person who has no desire to pilot her own bike. And she says, I'm in charge everywhere else. And, and I mean, she's, they're very, very engaged together when mm -hmm. they compete, and they're very competitive and very good. Um, but she has no desire to ride her own bike. And then you have a lot of the women going, yeah, I just want to go. And they are riding all over the country doing this by themselves. It seems very indicative of what's happening <clears throat> in the motorcycle culture overall. And I'm wondering, <clears throat> what, is, what is the reason that women are getting out and riding their own bike? Is it because they're empowered to do so or is it because it's more socially acceptable I found a variety so when I wrote the book the woman's guide to motorcycling um, I interviewed a lot of different women mm -hmm. and I think some of them you know I was on the back I had the boyfriend I dumped the boyfriend I liked the motorcycling I took the class right. you got a lot of that you got a lot of you know I rode on the back and it was fun and then one day I just wanted to ride my own kind of more my story mm -hmm. um, and once I got on my own I realized I it's just fun. I like it. I right. love being with my husband, and I love. We still navigate the relationship, you mm -hmm. know, a thousand miles at a time, just on two bikes. And there were some subtle differences in doing that. Um, I think that there are some women that are really content just being on the back. They just they're they're on everywhere else, and this is a place for them to hang out together and be on the back. But what I'm finding is. Um, I think for a lot of younger people, it's a cheaper form of transportation. And once they get on, they realize it's really fun. Mm -hmm. I think that uh, women in general just see themselves doing whatever it is they want to do and aren't dependent on um, a, a man to do it for them or with them. I think there's more um, women-only classes right. that are inviting women in and cheering them on and creating friendships. Um, the obstacle I see to a lot of women riding is taking a class and then not knowing anybody. Mm -hmm. And so they either uh, get in with a crowd that is not a good supportive fit or they just don't know who. But I think the internet has changed that because there are so many now Facebook groups. Right. And so I see... Um, like women adventure riders, there's probably every two weeks somebody says, I'm a new rider, and the amount of support they get, mm -hmm. you know, hey, I live in your area, I'll meet you, here's some things I did, here's this, here's this class, and I think that wasn't there, you know, 10 years ago it wasn't there. So right. I think there's just an incredible amount of networking and support for women that um, is encouraging them as well. And you are 
part of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's great that you are offering that gateway mm -hmm. to women through your books mm -hmm. and through your your teaching. Yes. Um, so it, before we wrap, though, I just wanted to give you a chance to any plugs or any upcoming rides or anything you'd like to mention, websites, anything like that. Now's the time to do. Now's it. the time. So my my I have two. Uh, Facebook pages. One is the Woman's Women's Guide to Motorcycling. Right. And on that one, I just put links to different issues, articles, questions, concerns, whatever. Um, I write for WomenADVRider.com. Mm -hmm. I write the Ask Linda column, which is sort of the advice column around anything social, emotional, mental, around riding, whether you're riding around the world or around the neighborhood. Um, the questions come all over the map, and it's a great online resource just in general. Right. Um, I have my personal work website, which is TheWinnersMind.com, and that's the mental skills aspect of the work I do. So again, a new rider who's scared uh, and is just told, we'll practice and focus, I help teach them what to focus on and how to practice um, to get their head in, on board so that they right. um, are able to confront the things that scare them to get to the place where they love it. Um, and there's a Facebook page of the same name, um, The Winner's Mind. And, uh, and then I have my book page, which is lindalaymanauthor.com. Great. And the um, I would say too that the the book the the women's guide I think makes a great gift. Yes. Uh, and then there's a lot of um, <clears throat> I find a lot of women want to get into writing, but for whatever reason they don't want their boyfriend or husband to teach them. And I they're resistant to that. Yeah, well, and they should be. They should be. So I would say for husbands and boyfriends, yes, this may be the thing to right. share. Right. That can help your partner get into writing if that's what you want to see them do. Right. And basically we walk through, it's not, again, it's not a how-to ride. There's mm -hmm. plenty of experts out there in that field. It's the history, why I ride, is it right for me, do I want to be on the front, the back, two wheels, three wheels, or not? You know, some women take the class and go, that was great and I don't ever want to do it again. And I think that's important because it's too dangerous a sport right. if you aren't committed. If you're committed, then here's how to do it correctly and here's how to do it smartly and safely. So here's why you want to have a professional instructor teach you. Here's why it's important to get better. Taking a class is not enough. Going out and practicing, mm -hmm. practicing the things that you don't like doing until you get good at it. Um, and then going and taking more classes, learning to ride on dirt, even if you never want to ride on dirt because you're going to ride through dirt at some point, you know, construction, right. corners, whatever. Um, and then how to shop, what basic safety do you need to know, what basic mechanics. I have a bike that has a chain. I need to know how to maintain my chain. Um, I don't have any desire to work on my bike, and I need to know how to check tire pressure, right. check chains, etc. I need to know when my throttle feels wrong and realize that it feels wrong because my throttle, throttle lock got jammed. Right. And so I need to know my bike enough to know when it's broken. And then how do I find good roads? How do I meet people? How do I give back to the community? And the book, you know, the one you started with, From Iron Lung to Iron Butt, it's a life story of a man who had polio as an infant right. and um, got into long-distance motorcycling. He rides with a sidecar because he doesn't have two legs that work. Um, and so uh, his passion and his commitment is to eradicate polio life 
around the world. And um, so all the proceeds from this, it's the his life story, the history of polio, the history of Rotary International, and where we are today in the fight to eradicate polio, and all the money from that book goes to Rotary's. Yeah, fight. that that looks like a really great yeah. book, too. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, I, I wanted to thank you for your time. And uh, just a reminder, it's Linda, L-Y-N-D-A, Layman, L-A-H, M-A-N, and uh, check out, go to her site, and I recommend checking these books out. I think they make wonderful gifts uh, for people as well. So thank you for your time. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Right, bye. So my good friend Cassie came up to me and said, oh my God, you got to meet this woman. She's so awesome. She does this really cool thing. And I'll be honest, I wasn't paying that much attention to her at the time. So I don't exactly know what it is. Something about giving away helmets in a third world country. And I said, say no more. I want to meet this person and learn more. So what is your name? I'm Kimberly Johnson. Hey, Kimberly. Where are you from? I live in Hillsboro, Oregon. It's um, outside of Portland. Okay, and we're here at Flock to the Rock, and I'm discovering all sorts of interesting people. So let's just start a little bit about you. How long have you been riding, and what bike do you ride? Oh, I've been riding um, about three years this June, and I ride um, currently a Triumph America. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful. Named. Her name is Tiffany. Okay, yes. And my helmet has red, white, and blue braids on it. Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> but something I like, I like about your story, though, is um, you're, you are a mother. I'm a mother of four. How old are your children? So my oldest is 17, um, 12, 10, and 5, or 12, 10, and 6. Don't get that wrong. It happens. I know. So that's unusual because a lot of people don't want to ride when they have children. But do you find this as a, a need, like an escape? It is. <laughs> it's the best escape. I love it. I um, go often riding in my backyard. I call it the backyard, and it's the mountains and mm-hmm. um, uh, places like Forest Grove and Hillsboro and Beaverton. And I just love, love escaping. And how did you get introduced to writing? Oh, my. So in 2015, um, I was in Dublin uh, for St. Patrick's Day. And um, I had a pint of Bulmers. Okay, this is nowhere near where I thought the story was going to go. Yeah, so this is how it happened. Okay. I I was having a pint. (laughs) Okay. And my husband said, so do you think you'd like to ride motorcycles? And I said, yes, because I had a pint of Bulmers cider. Okay. And what I didn't know, so we're in a pub, and there's no Wi-Fi except when you're in the pub. And uh, we were in this pub for six hours because it is St. Patrick's Day time, and you don't leave your seat. So, um, well, well, I must have went to the restroom because you save your table, you save your seats. Right. Uh, he booked me for Team Oregon. And uh, I came back, and um, he waited a couple days. He asked me a couple days later. Um, so do you want to ride motorcycles? I'm like, oh, no, no, that's not for me. And he goes, well, I've I've booked you for Team Oregon. I'm like, what's that? And he goes, it's motorcycle school. I'm like, oh, give it to someone else. <laughs> 
And so I went to motorcycle school completely green. I couldn't even push, like Pat Jakes was saying that, you know, we learn like enforced, like they teach us at the fourth step. And I needed the first step. I mm-hmm. needed like how to mount the motorcycle. Right. And um, I took the class and I didn't pass. I missed by three points. And I called him. I was bawling. And, and um, <laughs> he said, um, I said, you're going to pay for me to do this again or I will never get on a bike again. That's how devastated it was. So and you weren't said, you weren't afraid of getting on. Is is this something that just had never really well? I entered just your I mind? was thankful. I was truly thankful that yeah. they did not pass me. They 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 did not let me pass the class by three points because I was completely inept and should not have my whatever endorsement. Right. Like I needed more training, and um, so he says I'll I'll um, get you another class. Two weeks later, like completely fast. Uh, the first class I took was on a slope. Um, the testing was really hard. Everyone kept killing their bikes. I mean, it was just stressful. The environment was like, it was on a hill. It, it was not successful. I went um, to a place um, that was flat. Mm-hmm. I passed. Mm-hmm. I took a friend with me and she passed. And um, so we were like, um, uh, I want to say love. Uh, Lucy and Ethel. Right. Um, uh, I'm a redhead, and she has brown hair, and we would ride together, and we're homeschool moms that would just, like, get away from our kids, and it was so fun, and we learned about how to bump start things. We learned about, like, oh, there's, like, a reserve gas tank. I didn't know that you're supposed to flip something. So, like, she ran out of gas. I had a dead battery, and we still worked it out together. It was fun. And, um... Then I just got my first bike in July, and um, I had my first crash in September. What was your first bike? My first bike was Roxy. Her name's Roxy, (laughs) and she's a Honda Rebel. Great she was copper cut. Yeah. Um, I really liked her. Um, I did have a bad crash. I was going around. It it was not due to speed. Um, I learned a hard lesson. The lesson is face forward. Don't look in the rearview mirror because you're anxious about the ride behind you. Mm -hmm. So there was a rider causing me a lot of anxiousness, and he was too close to me. And it was my very first group ride. So I don't know about group ride etiquette. I just knew that I told my husband, I don't like that guy being on my butt. And um, I'm like, please talk to him. Well, the sad thing is, is he's my next door neighbor. (laughs) And um, I love him, and I've known him for 10 years and uh, the reason why I know what happened in my crash, because it's a blur, is because he I witnessed it all. Mm. So my crash bars got lined up against the um, guardrail, and I rode a guardrail for 90 feet, and then my handlebars smashed into the post at the end, and I crushed my hand. Uh. And so I've had two hand surgeries, but um, I got right on the bike, like right away. My Good husband, My husband restored my bike, and I was on it on January 1, like January January 1, 2016, and um, I only rode like two miles, but I did it, and it was like around 15 degrees, and I called it good. Getting back on the bike is hard. It was very hard. So now, I know you do this amazing thing. Let's say what it is and how you got to do this. Okay, so... um, My husband rides with a bunch of of people, and... uh, And what does he he ride? Okay, my husband rides a DRZ 400, mm-hmm. and he rides a um, Triumph Scram- Scrambler mm-hmm. 900. So he has the same engine as I have um, for my bike. And um, 
he just rides with the guys and they're like the same people he rides with and he says hey i'm going to thailand in a few months do you want to go with and so before we knew it word of mouth we got eight people going to thailand and what we went to thailand to do was serve with an organization called fly fishing collaborative and what they do is they raise money through guided fishing trips Mm -hmm. and um just doing doing events for fly fishing activities um pacific northwest is a great place like oregon's a great place to fly fish well so is off of phuket uh thailand is a great place so there were some trips uh planned so um we went over with fly fishing collaborative and what we did is we helped build an aquaponics fish farm for children uh, rescued from human trafficking. The organization is called Zoe International. And um, what Zoe does is uh, uh, amazing, amazing. They uh, fight child trafficking. Zoe fights against child trafficking in three ways, prevention, rescue, and restoration. Their goal, uh, Zoe's goal, is to rescue children from human traffickers and provide the children with new life. With currently 20.9 million victims of human trafficking worldwide, Zoe makes every effort to rescue children in need. Uh, Their rescue efforts involve raids conducted by law enforcement officials, prosecutions, convictions, and the rescuing of labor and sex trafficking victims. Once a rescued child is in their hands, they bring them to a safe house where they are provided short-term, specialized care. They also have a wonderful skills training program. So if if they rescue a child that is older than 14, so 14 and older, they put them through an intensive 90-week training program where they train them. 90 weeks? 90 weeks. Wow. Where they train them 12 trade skills. So they might learn auto mechanics, small uh, motors, um, haircutting, hospitality, accounting, basically the trades where they can get a job. And I think we need this in America. I mean, like, if we could have 12 trades in 90 weeks, we would have so many skilled people in America. So when you were over there, were you riding motorcycles there? Okay, so that was the original intent why we were there. But Mm -hmm. my husband put the word out that he, you know, hey, I'm going over and I want to do a motorcycle trip. So um, uh, the founders that we went over there with and my husband and about um, six or seven others, I think there were eight to nine motorcycle riders, uh, we rode across uh, Thailand, northern Thailand, for six days. And um, we had two chase vehicles. We had a film crew. And I was one chase vehicle. And all I had were helmets, 100 helmets uh, that we were passing out to people as we were driving um, into the very remote places. Are these American helmets? These are Thai helmets. Thai helmets. Okay. Thai helmets bought in Thailand right. um, from people that did, were not able to go on the motorcycle ride. They blessed the Thai people with um, the funds. And then um, we would just, I would just be driving down the road. And, you know, in Thailand, there's no rules. So, like, I could be going 80, 90, 100 miles an hour. I'm following bikes. Mm-hmm. And I believe they were on CBX 500s. I could 
could be wrong on that. But I know it was CBX and it was Honda okay. and they were all red. <laughs> and um, so I would uh, basically get to the destination before them because the leader on the first day of the ride said, oh, well, Kim, I think you're going to be on your own with the kids to have lunch because um, I don't think you'll be able to keep up. <sighs> Game on. (laughs) I beat them to the destination. I wooed them in. I got them seating. And we did that for the rest of the days. Like, he should not have challenged me. So how are you handing out these helmets? If you just saw someone and didn't have a helmet? So we're just driving by. My kids are wearing helmets. And it would be like, okay, take your helmet off. There's someone there. And I would go ahead about a quarter of a mile ahead of them. I would kind of try and block them. And you know what? They don't understand a crazy woman uh, handing out a helmet on the roadside. They would just go do 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 around me. <laughs> so then I would get back in the car and it would go down like two miles and I'd wait for them. And then um, as we were passing them out, it would, sometimes would create a crowd. Mm-hmm. So we had some crowd situations. And then the bikes, um, the people on the motorcycles, they were passing out helmets. And it was just a wonderful thing because a helmet's very expensive in Thailand. Right. And um, some people can't afford it and it's the number one fatality in thailand so we were hoping to save some lives that's awesome do you have any plans for another trip i want to go to pakistan ah, with Chikistan. there we go <laughs> right on let's do, do it and I do i do you know it's it. not a bad idea about the helmets or the helmets in pakistan are very thin they really don't do anything and i've often thought there's so many new women riders it would be great if we could get gear from here to take over so they can actually have adequate gear well that would be a great idea i'd love to help with that let's work together on it let's make it happen okay awesome uh, headed to uganda in 2019 with um the uh, fly fishing collaborative group and we're gonna go um help with a um uh, skills training center that mm-hmm. is going to match what we what they have going on in Zoe in Thailand. Awesome. That's awesome. And hopefully you'll get to ride there. I plan to. That's why I'm doing the adventure <laughs> courses. Awesome. So, well, thank you very much for sharing your story. Well, thank you. And let's work together and let's take some gear to Pakistan. Sounds good. Awesome. Thanks. <laughs> Um, I have wrangled some people here to talk about the Flock to the Rock event. It's it's just ended. It's been a long day. It's been a lot of fun. Let's start with who is in the room. Michelle Adams. Hey, Michelle. Chicka Stanner. Hey, Liza. And uh, Cassia Leet. Chicka Stanner. <laughs> and who we got over here? Beth Dolis. Where are you from? Uh, Ashland, Oregon. There you go. And? And Lee Olson. Also from Ashland. Awesome. And we ran into you guys um, like the first day pulling into the hotel. And we want to say what you two are riding. Uh, Riding a 2017 R1200 GS. Nice. And I'm riding a BMW 700 GS. No problem with that. I actually, they look so much alike. I'm really surprised that one is a 1200 GS. because the, they just both seem like big, capable bikes. Do you find there's a big difference between the 700? Only when you're trying to lift it, or...? There's a big difference in power. 
Beth can leave me in the dust as yeah. we get on the freeway. Um, and the cylinder heads on the 1200 are low in front, and um, which gives it incredibly great balance. Mm -hmm. So even though the bike is bigger and heavier, I think, as I have heard everyone who owns one say, including Beth, it's a perfectly balanced machine. So right. easier to ride. So they say than a 700. Nice. Now, have you guys been to Flock to the Rock before? No. Um, what what drew what drew you to the event this year? Um, I know Ruth. Ah. We knew about the event last year, but we had other plans, so we couldn't make it. And uh, had we saw her last year at the Rainy Ravens camp out, and knew that she was doing this this year, so we didn't want to miss it. So it wasn't because the Chickasstaners were speaking. <laughs> of course it was. <laughs> that wasn't the high point, but it, it, it factored into the decision to come. Nice. So there's been a lot of um, events uh, throughout the weekend. I'm wondering, we'll start with Michelle. Can you name one of your highlights? Definitely the uh, workshop by uh, Pat Jakes. Yes. Um, yeah, that was a huge... And what was one of the takeaways for you? Uh, how to ride whoops without <laughs> getting your ass handed to you. How do you ride whoops without getting your ass handed to you? Um, you uh, t keep a consistent speed and uh, and how to, uh, you know, use your uh, feet to balance your bike and, you know, instead of your arms. A lot of what she said was about the feet. And I was even thinking about the today when I, we were on the ride and I was really trying to use my feet a lot and I was going through twisties standing up and really just thinking about wading the, the pegs and letting my feet steer the bike. That's good, she got you thinking about that. Yeah. Cassie? Yeah, she also was really inspirational to me and I learned a lot from her techniques and the how she was doing, showing balancing on the bike and some of the exercises. And so I'm, I was really encouraged by you know what she said. We have to practice her her yes. bouncing technique. Yes. The thing, uh, do you, Beth, do you want to try and describe what I'm talking about? We actually went to Pat's ADV Woman Rally oh. last year and did her um, COBDR tour. So the her training, her coaches were all women. It was fantastic. Just uh, all of them were highly skilled and they um, could break down the skills so they were really easy to learn and uh, step by step. Uh, yeah, I think she's a great coach. She can really... The, the thing that I loved, and there's so many people who say that uh, because they <clears throat> have a smaller inseam or shorter, that they can't ride certain bikes. And that's not true. And Jocelyn Snow is one of the type of people to prove it. And Pat's, uh, her, her method of getting used to a taller bike is that you would have one foot firmly on the ground and the other foot on the foot peg. So the left foot on the ground, right foot on the foot peg. <clears throat> She'd have you slide across the bike quickly to put your right foot on the ground and your left foot on the foot peg. And you just go back and forth. Now you want to have somebody spotting the bike, but you want it stationary and in gear so it's not rolling. You go back and forth sliding, getting used to each foot going down. But the trick she was saying is that the other foot has to be on the foot peg and that's how you're really controlling the bike. And then I love, then the next step is you, if you have your right foot on the peg, left foot on the ground, put your left foot on the peg, 
and whichever way the bike starts to fall, put that other that foot down, mm-hmm. and see how long you can hold that balance point, and do that back and forth. And then, the scary part, with one foot on the ground, one foot on the peg, stand up both foot on the peg, both feet on the pegs, yeah. and then one foot down. And it gets really gets you used to shifting your body over to support the bike rather than I see so many people not move their butt over but try and reach and come up short right Right. and they end up not having enough leverage it was a great technique and I've never seen anyone put that into something that you could practice and train your body with yeah I took a dirt bike training with also with Jimmy Lewis and he had us do the same technique on smaller dirt bikes nice just trying to really more for the balance you get up and you try to stand up there on the pegs as long as you could and then whichever way the bike went that's where you put your foot down and just really just trying to get you to feel and balance the bike before you panicked and threw a foot on the ground right so what was a highlight for you before the whole the, event this weekend yeah, yeah. um elspeth beard's talk oh, was yeah. really inspirational i read her book probably right after it came out because we bought one of the hardback yes first editions and uh, totally inspirational you know it, it just when I read the book I thought wow times are so different now even if you did that today it wouldn't nearly be the same I mean look we have digital maps we There's have a GPS lot we have everything and doing it today she did this and it was like groundbreaking and yeah it was really inspirational it just made me want to keep adventuring you yeah. know keep on dreaming big and doing anything you can think up in your mind that you want to do right yeah and lee how about you what was one of the best moments of this weekend i loved all the workshops and the speakers but there was a moment today on the group ride Mm -hmm. where i was kind of in the middle of the pack and we were pulling onto the bridge the astoria Mm -hmm. bridge and as far as i could see ahead of me Across the river on the bridge were bike were women bikers, and behind me I looked behind me and there was just a long line of women bikers and it was like a ribbon, and I imagined that somewhere at some moment in time that there were only female bikers on the bridge from like end to end. It was really beautiful. It was. Awesome. I actually had um, a moment when we split after lunch. A lot of people split off different directions to come back home, and it was a little confusing because I'm like, wait, who do I follow? I don't know. And I saw you two go by. I'm like, wait, they're at my hotel. I'm safe. And I'm just like, I'm going with them. And like, there was only like, what, eight of us in the room, yeah. maybe? We yeah. counted seven, and then it turned into We started eight. out with like 100 bikers, and then suddenly everyone just split off. I don't even know where you guys, where Cassie and Michelle, you all went it. She had a modeling session that she won. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so you guys took today. a short path home. Mm-hmm. But we were, we went for, I guess, I didn't know where we were going. I didn't, I didn't know if we were coming straight home, but I guess we took the long route. Her idea. And went on some great, windy, twisty roads. And there was uh, just some moments where I was completely relaxed and one with the bike and one with the group and everyone was just going in just a sweeping, sweeping, sweeping. And it was like, it was just me, the bike and the wind, but also just kind of being connected to everyone else. Yeah. 
in it. Yeah. And it was just one of those perfect moments. I remember thinking, this is this is this is happening right now. One of those perfect moments. Yeah. It was beautiful, beautiful pavement, beautiful twisty road, a little bit of sunlight, river, trees, agricultural area. It was really it was really special. An elk. Elk, yeah. Again. Yeah. <laughs> I know. So when are you guys coming down to uh, Northern California? Mm, again soon. Gotta go see Jocelyn again for sure. Well, you know I'm hop, and skip, I know, and jump away. Yeah, I know. We'll be there. Awesome. Are you? Do you plan on coming back to Flock to the Rock next year? They, yeah. All right. <clears throat> I haven't even. I haven't talked to Ruth, so I'm not. I'm not pulling a whammy on you. Who do you think would be a great guest for next year's mm. event? I think either Jocelyn or Bettina, who are both on the GS Trophy team, just to talk about their experience. Because if there are women that are really into off-road adventure biking and want to attempt the GS Trophy qualifiers, I mean, it's really it's a whole nother Maybe world of wait, motorcycles. Wait and see if they win. Yeah, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Two women's teams against how many men's teams? Still, I mean, just that that whole other world that people can women can experience on motorcycles it's just got to be fantastic and have you guys taken on more challenges on your gs's be, have you been influenced by them oh to yeah try more challenging routes yeah i i mean i bought the 1200 and then i hunted down jocelyn and mm. convinced her to give me some one-on-one turned into two-on-one training but i just bought the 1200 and had no idea how i was going to handle that i knew it was supposed to be easier than the 800 that i sold but I needed some training, and so I convinced her to give me some coaching. And within 20 minutes, I felt like I can ride this bike anywhere. That's awesome. Yeah. And Leah, have you had the same experience? Um, I rode with Jocelyn and Beth and Val uh, down the California coast, but I didn't train. I didn't do the training because I'm still recovering from my ankle fracture. Ooh. So, um, so I just watched. But I think um, I think it would be great to have one of the GS Challenge qualifiers come and speak, not necessarily to inspire people to do the same, mm-hmm. but the way that Elspeth's experience of traveling around the world, you can relate to that, and it's inspiring, and it, and not only to people who want to ride around the world themselves, but it's just an amazing story and and amazing women and so i think the as we've heard stories about the qualifiers and the challenge the semifinals in south africa and now we're looking forward to hearing about the finals in mongolia i their experience has been unbelievably interesting inspiring and um jocelyn talks a lot about the camaraderie and support and team spirit that the women have that is lacking in the men's teams. She's made friends, lifelong friends, with people who are supposed to be her competition. Maybe we can even do some of their skills riding outside the convention center in the parking lot. I, I really like the one where they blindfold you Right. And make you ride up a hill and try and land on a paper plate. Right. right. Michelle's like, what? Yeah. What? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> what? <laughs> they do this. They have to ride up a grassy hill blindfolded 
and try and land on a paper plate. What's you get a visual? Oh, I see. So you're you just get going a visual, by the and then you get blindfolded, and then you got to go. So your memory—you've taken a visual right. picture. You've taken a picture. So it's it's in your mind. Right. Just yeah. So the difficulty intuition. is once the blindfold goes on, and if you start writing, maybe your handlebars turned, and you don't know that. Right. So you really have to just. Trust that you're going to just move forward and get it, and remember visually in your mind where that plate is, and hopefully Aim you've taken it. the picture. Right. You know where it is. That's where you go. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Blind writing. Here we come. I'm ready. <laughs> See? It's you're ready. I'll, I'll do it. it. I'll do it. You heard about it. You're ready to do it. Not on my little bike. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you guys for coming here. I know you didn't want to, but I get what I want. So. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I knew you guys. I manifest some, what I want. You no, know, I was watching you all weekend. You guys were really absorbing everything mm. that this event had to offer. Mm. And that was really cool. And you even won something at the raffle. Yeah, I, I didn't want. I didn't win what Did I actually put my tickets in the bag for. Your tickets in the wrong bag. Oh. <laughs> I actually, I actually didn't put my tickets in the wrong bag. They oh. had the wrong bag in front of the them. mirrors that oh. I wanted. So I got the uh, the mirrors that I didn't. Oh, want. you wanted the little, you wanted the big mirrors. For her bike. Oh, mm. okay. And now you got two sets of little mirrors? <laughs> I gave him the pad. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> she has dirt bikes. Oh, perfect. Awesome. All right. Well, it's late. I think we're all ready to go. Thanks again for coming, you guys. Thank you. Thanks for Bye. having us. Thanks. Yeah. All right. Bye.